0: This is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them.
1: Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. She is flyer than Harrison Doula, drop-kicking one of the Emperor's messengers into Jakku's son. It's Lindsay.
0: Wow. Well, you know... I started to get like really hyped up the day of recording to be like how am I going to how am I going to be introduced and you have yet to disappoint me.
1: You know I now it's at the point like when we first started this I was just making it up on the fly but now I'm like I got to make sure I bring it cuz I can't just keep saying cool all the time.
0: Yeah, you know? but could you also could you also imagine if you gave me this intro and then on the next one you just tried to make it up on the fly and you're like she's cooler than an Ewok in uh, banana in the Pajama <laughs> 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 <Like, laughs> <laughs> How crushed would I be? <laughs>
1: oh man! Well, I'm glad that all of your uh, self esteem and hopes and dreams yeah, you weighs keep on going. that. You keep okay, going. good to know. Good to know. Um, all right, today, guys, we will be discussing the last installment of Alexander Freed's Alphabet Squadron trilogy, "Victory's Price." And there's a lot of interesting themes that we're going to dig into in this book, and and all of that. But before we do that, uh, we need to rate this book. And while most reviews will rate the book at the end here at Don't Burn the Sacred Text, we like to rank it at the beginning. And then we're going to discuss it and see if our ratings change. So as we are talking Starfighters, out of five, Lindsay, how many Starfighters do you give this book?
0: I don't know why I always forget we do this, but at least, you know, it's like totally genuine and off the top of my head. Um, I would give this off the top of my head, I'd give this three Starfighters. You know, okay. It wasn't yeah. I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't the best thing I've ever read, but we'll get into it. But yeah, it's it's a solid three.
1: So I really tried to narrow it down, but for me, at the end of the day, I have to rate this book in two ways. I have to rate the execution of the book versus my mm-hmm. enjoyment of the book because they're two very you didn't different
0: give me things. That choice.
1: I know, but I I'm
0: <laughs>
1: I'm the one with the record button, so I make the <laughs> rules. Uh, so for execution. I give this a solid four out of five. I think Alexander Freed is one of the best. uh, I have on my notes writers in Star Wars, but I'm just going to be straight up. One of the best writers I've read. His prose is absolutely fantastic. Um, But when it, and especially, you know, he does the worst side of things, but when it comes to me enjoying this book, it's going to be a two. And, We'll get into it. It's not a knock on what Alexander Freed did at all. Um, It's just more so, you know, what I enjoy reading in particular. And so I think that's important to to keep in mind. Um, Because even though we may have some critiques of this book and things that we didn't like, like if you want to read a good Star Wars book uh, that's written well, you know, I, I would put in terms of like prose and just writing capabilities, you know, to me, Alexander Fried is, you know, up there with Matthew Stover level of just like the way he puts sentences together and everything's absolutely fantastic.
0: Not only that, I mean, I I will say too, like, if I had been given the option to break my readings, it probably would have matched yours. Um, because I, I think that what he set out to do he was very effective in, in it. And I'll certainly dive into what I mean by that as we as we discuss the book. But one of the things I realize Alexander Freed does better than probably any other Star Wars author who has been tasked with any kind of like trilogy or sequel or series that he does is I I can't think of any other better way to phrase this than this. He does a great job, too, on the here's what you missed on or recently on because other books, you know, when we look at the, you know, the queen shadows and the thrones, it's like I I have those few moments, the first few pages of, oh, my God, I should have reread the first one really quickly or I should have recapped what happened in the first two really quickly. But I never do. And you would think I would learn my lesson eventually But with the the Alphabet Squadron books, both the second and the third one, he does a a really good job of kind of recapping, like, where you're at in the series without breaking the pace, you know? Because I was about 30 pages into it, and I realized, like, okay, I remember all of this. I remember all these details, but he still kept the story moving forward. And a lot of that comes from the fact that he is this really great writer. He has this great prose. He has this great style. So he's able to recap things without it feeling like a recap. And he's able to recap things and still develop the characters, which is hard to do. It's it's truly the first time in a Star Wars book, at least, that I remember having that feeling of, okay, I'm caught up. You know, I didn't have to go onto Wikipedia and read the, read the recap to remember what I missed or remember what I might have forgotten. Um, but I was able to jump into this in a very exciting way. It's just, I, th- I think I kind of agree with you. Where it's not my favorite story, just because it's it's not what I'm interested in, and it's not his fault.
1: Yeah, like you and I, we are much more force centric, uh, you know, mythology kind of people, and there's not as much of that in here. And you know, I can I I, I can say you know, for hundred percent for sure, it's not Alexander Freed's fault because. Like, when I read the X-Wing books, not that interesting to me. And I know people love and adore those books. It's just, you know, different flavors, you know, for different people, which, you know, I've said multiple times on here, like, do more of that. I want more of that, you know? I want more stuff that I don't prefer because that means that they're making more stuff because what I prefer is, you know, the bread and butter of Star Wars is, you know, the mythology and the Force and everything like that. Like, that's never going away. So, heck, yeah, bring all this different stuff in. And... To your point about, you know, not needing a recap or anything, I think also it's Alexander Freed creates such visceral images when I first Cerberon, for example, and everything that Yerika went through uh, in the second book, like visually, it was kind of challenging to picture because it was a scene that wasn't anything we had kind of seen in Star Wars before. You could kind of use other movies and stuff to help you give a framework or whatever. But you felt it. Like there was no denying you felt the experience that Yuriko was going to. So when you come here and I don't remember the details of what happened on Cerberon. I remember you know the basic outlines and everything. And I didn't get the chance to reread the second book. I can still go oh yeah I remember. Right cuz
0: that's that's what's important other right. than and and I I don't want to kind of go on a tangent of pros versus cons and what's a good story what's a bad story but just as a comparison this is strictly as a comparison like I almost I don't want to bring this up in a way but the the third aftermath book you know Chuck Wendig wrote what I'm sure is a great battle sequence, you know? I am sure that he did a great job explaining, you know, the positions of the star cruisers and the angles they were at. The problem is I can't visualize that. Yeah. And unfortunately, here's, and here's why I bring it up because here's the difference. In Chuck Wendig's third aftermath story, the position and the angles of a certain ship actually is important to the story. And it is important to everything that happens after the story. You know, it's it's why Ray lives where she does. Whereas Alexander Freed, I think, is really good at sacrificing some of those minute details for here's the character I'm creating, here's what they're experiencing, like you said, here's what they're feeling, and that's the important part. That's what drives the story home. And I think he successfully does this the entire time throughout Victory Price Victory's Price with all the characters, really, you know, there's, there's five really strong characters here, plus Hera. And I think we can emotionally, if not relate, we can at least understand where they're at, even if we don't know, okay, this is the specifications of their ship and here's who they're fighting and here's, you know, the way they're flying. That's not important. And that's why I don't want to give this book lower than a three because this is the point of the story is how the characters are feeling. It just so happens to be very military, military and very strategic focused.
1: Right. And that's, that's the big difference for me for these books is they are about starfighters and starfighter pilots and the military side of things. Right. But it's not about that. It's about the people. And as a comparison, you know, ironically enough, Alexander Freed wrote, I think, what is both of our least favorite uh, canon book, which is the original uh, Battlefront, Twilight Company. And on that side, I think he did a lot of war explaining and never really made us feel about the characters. And there's a lot in there that's not his fault it's you know having to write a video game book for a video game that doesn't have an actual story and all of this kind of stuff like there's a lot of factors there but just as a you know as a comparison that is very much a war centric book where it's about being in the trenches and it's about everything this is and this whole trilogy has been a book about the psychology of the characters and their development and their struggles and um, the ambiguity with which you know we face our own identity after a war and we go into a war and, and I think this is applicable whether you've actually fought a war you're talking about going through a traumatic experience or anything like that you go into that thinking you know who you are you come out of it realizing you don't know who you are. And so then when the next problem comes, you have to figure out who you are. And to me, that's kind of the development that we had for pretty much all of these characters, uh, you know, through the trilogy. And they all kind of ended in different places. And to go to kind of the, I guess, main protagonist, uh, I, I mean... I guess I think Geerika is the main protagonist just because, like, she was kind of the one we kicked the the series off with. I think, you know, they're all kind of equal, um, more or less. But when we ended the last book, she was returning to Soaring Keys in the Empire. Uh, and then we get to this book and we find out that she actually was going undercover to help the New Republic track Shadow Wing. But of course, you know, she didn't tell anybody. So it leads me to two questions. One is, Do you think that that makes sense for Quell to do without letting anybody know? And then two, was it just an easy out so that Quell didn't come off as a bad guy or uh, did this actually work in favor of her story?
0: So I guess it's kind of hard to answer that in two parts just because I think those two questions are related. Um, I will say even after, you know, the, the second book ended, this is kind of where I thought it was going to go. I did feel like she had that strong allegiance to Alphabet Squadron, to the New Republic even. Um, and maybe less so the New Republic, more so to Hera. Um, But I, I wasn't shocked by this. You know, in no way did I see this as a big twist or a big reveal. This is kind of where I thought they were going. So I wasn't surprised. And I think because of that, to me, yes, it makes sense for her character. It is well served for her character. And she still, I think, struggles with the the reasoning behind it. Is she doing this because she Kind of wants to make amends for what she's done in the past. Is she doing this because she necessarily really believes in the cause for the New Republic? Like I think she even struggles with her motivations, and that's why I think it holds true to her character. I would I would be very concerned if it was, "Hey, here's Yerka Quill. She's you know gung ho. She is just as invested in the New Republic as Princess Leia. Look at this big change of heart." That would seem disingenuous to me. But the fact that we have this person here who who kind of struggles with what she's done in the past and can she make up for it, and then it kind of feels like a, a no good deed goes unpunished type thing, you know, and, and she's really trying to make amends, trying to understand what she's doing. That's why I think it at the very least holds true. Is it the best possible way to execute this story? I don't know. I might have preferred, you know, her telling at least, you know, Chadek or, or at least Hera or at least one other person, hey, I'm going to do this. That seems to make a little bit more sense to me than her just going totally rogue undercover. Uh, the other part of this, too, is in the first two books, at no point, at no point was I overly or even <laughs> remotely invested in the Soren Keyes storyline, you know, whether it's her relationship with, uh, with him or what they were doing on their own, like at, at no point was I, you know, eager to get the, to the next chapter with him. So for this to be such a central part of this story, I thought it was a little boring, a little drawn out, I guess. Um, I wasn't thrilled by it, but it felt true to her character to answer your question.
1: I think with Soren, you know, he is there to me to just be the inverse of Yurka because, you know, when things got hard and she left the Empire, she decided to at least try to do something good in the world, uh, in the galaxy, right? And she didn't know exactly what that was. She didn't know even how you do that. But she knew, I need to try to do some good by supporting what is clearly right. Whereas Soren goes back to the Empire, not caring whether it's right or wrong, but just caring about making, you know, taking care of, of his soldiers, regardless of whether or not like there's no morality for him it's not a morality issue for him whereas for for quell it is you know she's questioning that morality he's not interested in that at all he's interested in just taking care of the people you know and then consequences be damned like he never stops to consider whether you know at the end of the book if he destroys all this thing and these people in the empire who committed all these heinous crimes get to leave like What's to say they're not going to do it again? A- and you can ask that question not just because, you know, that's the reality of life, but he's literally done it again. Like, he left yeah. because he realized the empire is falling. This isn't going to be good for anybody. I'm going to try to make a new life and start again. He tries to help people and, you know, just do a little bit of good in the world. And he goes back and restarts Operation Cinder. So it's like, it's frustrating, well, like... I I think, I think his character isn't supposed to be super deep and interesting because I think he's just there to juxtapose to Quell.
0: I think that I, this, this kind of just came to mind as you were talking about their relationship and their differences, but I think it kind of holds true to everyone in Alphabet Squadron. You know, and you could apply this quote to any of them, and this might even be the best way to sum up one of the themes, but there's the the quote i believe is a shakespeare quote um couldn't tell you what play or anything and i might completely be wrong it might not be shakespeare at all um but the the line where it's oh god what is it? it's some men are some men are born into greatness some men achieve greatness and sometimes greatness is thrust upon them some something along those yeah basically the general gist of the quote and I think that's how you can kind of divvy up the differences here. Whereas Soren Keys, he's someone who achieves greatness. He's going to work for it. He's going to manipulate things accordingly. Whereas Quell and, you know, we, we can dissect this, but at least four of the, no, I would actually say all five, all five of the Alphabet Squadron members have greatness thrust upon them and they're not sure how to react. They're not sure if they deserve it. And it's almost like they are throughout these three books, this one especially, they're trying to deserve the greatness that is being thrust upon them, and I think that's the big difference between quell and keys here
1: well, and you know to go back to what I had asked you earlier, too, that's part of why I feel like that it wasn't necessarily the best route to go having the more or less obvious you know oh, Quell was just there as a secret agent kind of deal. Um, I think just logically, to me, it doesn't make sense that she wouldn't at least tell, like, Hera. Um, It makes sense to me that, you know, or Will, or, you know, somebody who she could trust to keep it quiet. Nath wouldn't keep it quiet. Chaddock wouldn't keep it quiet. Um, But, you know, if she went to Hera, Hera's one of those people who would be like, you know, I don't agree that this is the best route, but I'm going to let you do your thing, you know, kind of whatever. Um, but for me, I would have preferred to actually have her go back to shadowing because she thought she was irredeemable um, instead of her trying to redeem herself. Um, and and when you consider, you know, that she spends, like you were talking about, a lot of this book questioning which side she believes in and where she draws her moral lines, I think, you know her going back to keys makes sense. She's kind of giving herself an out there. Um, and you know, testing whether she still believes in what he's doing and him as a person. And, and really her struggle is whether she believes in the people or the institution. And, and, how to live in whatever reality she decides and you know she kind of to me finds a balance of those things but her relationship with keys is is the real test of whether that morality is going to center around an organization or an idea or whether it's going to center around a person uh, because, like I said, Keyes goes fully into, like, he's not interested in the Empire. He's interested in protecting his people. Whereas Quell's like, well, yes, I want to help my people. But also, this is five of us versus billions. You know, and that's where she draws her line. So, I th- I, w- I, I prefer, you know, the long, drawn-out, slow-burn angst and tragedy and everything. Um and so I could, I, I kind of would have liked to see Quell a little bit more to the extreme side of kind of hating herself and, you know, uh, feeling like she didn't even deserve a second chance. Um, and then slowly having her come to that realization because going back to, you know, what we were talking about earlier with the second book, I don't remember a lot of the events that happened to Quell. I remember a lot of the emotion and the feelings, but the specifics about like what happened and why that would motivate her were a little unclear for me. So maybe that's just on me for not going back and looking at that. But um, yeah. I I, no,
0: I, don't, I don't think so. Because again, I think that the entire point of this is that emotional component. Um, and, and it's interesting because of just the setup of the story and the the designs of the covers, even like, Hey, here are these pilots, here are these ships. This is, what's going to draw you in the strongest points of the story really are that emotional component. And here's how people, you know, we, we really hammered into this at least in the second book. And I think even a little in the first, um, but, but just understanding, Hey, the point of this isn't military strategy, The point of this isn't here's where the new Republic is. Here's how it came to be. You know, that's a very kind of bloodline esque, you know, bloodline bloodline is the political thriller of star Wars. And aftermath is that kind of military story of star Wars. Whereas this is at least meant to be, here's how people are dealing with trauma. You know, here are these broken people trying to come together and I think that on an individual basis, it's done really well when we look at these five individual characters, even, you know, plus Hera. Um, so a total of six, I would say. We're, we're going to get to Hera. We're going to get to Hera. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you look at it individually, I think it's done very well, very truly and, and accurately. Um, I am lucky enough where I have not been through a war You know, I have not been through these situations, but knowing people who have come home from these situations, I understand and I think it's done well. The reason I don't rank this book higher, that being said, is because I enjoy the story more when we're saying, here are these five people, here's them as a team. You know, and that's why I really like the second book, especially because we spent so much more time with, here's this really functioning team. Here's how they work together. Here's how they bounce off each other. And I don't think we necessarily got that with victory's price. It was too much time kind of all being spent apart. Mm -hmm. And then when they were together rebuilding that trust, and then when we got to the point where they should have had that trust again, I felt like it was too short lived. And that part was too, we're going to show this trust through the military strategy I think it could have been better served of they trust each other again. And here's how we rebuild personal relationships outside of the, the con.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, Freed is definitely going for more ambiguity here. Um, which I think is to the benefit when you're talking about, you know, understanding struggle and everything, because like, likewise, I've never been through a war, but you know, I've had, a lot of traumas that have questioned you know, made me question who I am and what I believe in. Um, and, and most people have, you know, the, ex- to what extreme, you know, is whatever, but I could relate to that struggle. And as frustrating as it was at the end that to me, I didn't feel like they really came to an answer, um, except for maybe will, uh, that they had just kind of accepted that they, there wasn't necessarily a right answer and they were just going to do the best that they could do while me wanting nice, complete rounded stories that have clear, you know, this is what you should do with your life endings is like, Oh, that's frustrating. At the same time, I'm like, well, but it's also very real, you know, like, um, I was reading a book recently and this just blew my mind. It was talking about like arguing and like basically the point was you don't have to end the argument with one person agreeing with the other. Like there doesn't have to be, you're not going to have a winner of an argument, right? You're just going to have to find the point wherein the two parties can say, all right, we can live in the same space and have this level of disagreement that's essentially to me what's happening with Alphabet Squadron at the end is they they're not agreeing on what they did they're not agreeing on the morality of the war they're not agreeing on really any of that stuff and but they've said you know we've been through this thing together and our we care about each other more than we care about these questions that we have um and I mean it's very real but at the same time I'm like again I want like end of return of the jedi like you know it's very clear cut here's the good here's the evil here's what you should do and so you know admittedly when stories get a little more gray like that I'm like this isn't giving me the nice clean OCD answers that I want um but we do yeah, get the- I don't
0: even I don't even mind though when it's not clear cut like that I mind when it's when I I get to the end and I feel like I've been told five different stories and none of them really went in line together, you know, it it seems like at the very end of this, I, maybe I'm wrong. And and if you can convince me otherwise, please. But I I don't get the impression like it's, we'll, we'll just take the original trilogy members as the comparison. You know, I, even Aftermath I think did this better where you couldn't have one of these characters without the others you couldn't tell their story and tell their growth without explaining how they all grew together whereas in Alphabet Squadron I'm okay with not having those, those clear cut ends but I feel like it's five different ends and at no point did they really intercept
1: I feel like they intercepted I don't feel like they ever really became a squadron Like, I don't think they were ever really were a team. But I do think that you need their stories because, you know, to go back to, you know, the idea I was presenting earlier about Keys being, you know, the opposite of Quell. Like, Quell and her, you know, unclear beliefs challenge Chaddick and her very, like, gung-ho, blinders-on, full-force-ahead belief in what she's doing, you know? And Nath and Will challenge each other. Um, and then Kairos is kind of the reflection of what they're all going through. So I think, you know, when you look at, like, Han, Luke, and Leia, you know, they they definitely... Needed each other, and you have to tell their stories together, and all of that kind of stuff, too. Um, but they didn't push against each other in such a contrasting way as this, like they complemented each other. You know, Han makes Luke better because he supports him, and, and vice versa, and lay it, you know, same way, whereas Quell and Chadwick make each other better. For the you know majority of the story, because they don't see eye to eye, and so they force themselves out of this false sense of righteousness um, or belief, or in the case of Quell, you know, just facade that they've hidden themselves behind. And I think that's more or less something that all of these characters have done. And again, Kairos is kind of the reflection of that with her her uh, you know shell, more or less that she her her chrysalis. Um, but they, you know, Quell starts the trilogy by having up this facade or talking about this facade that's, you know, starting to come down and she doesn't even know what's real anymore. Nath has never really had something that he believes in. So he's, you know, been a pirate, he's been for the empire, he's been for the rebellion, no idea who he is. You know, Will has had this, you know, I kind of equate him to and not in a negative way, but like the rich white kid who grows up and like everything is pretty easy. Like you go to the best schools and you never have to worry about having a good meal and all of that kind of stuff. And like, that's great. Like, I'm sure most of us would like to live that life. But there's something about having to live through struggle that helps us develop. And so he has this facade of, you know life is easy and it's this way and this is how the things should go and and that gets torn away from him and we even see you know the effect of that when he goes back and so i do think they did need each other because they needed to force each other out of those comfort zones but i i I agree with you at the same time that their stories are not intertwined if that makes sense
0: no, it, but that, I th- I think that's kind of part of my issue. There's really strong pairings, right? Like, Nath and Will are awesome together. Oh, I love Shattuck them so and much. and Eureka, obviously awesome. Like, I actually, I'm gonna ask Adriana to cover them in an episode of Starships. Oh my god, yes. She has, to. She has I, I actually, I'll be honest, I was like flipping through the pages pretty early on. I was like, where are they? When's this gonna happen? This has to happen, like. They're they're great together. I never and saw it Keros, coming. Honestly, with really, yeah, no. It, when oh. it got to it, I was like,
1: yeah, absolutely, totally makes sense. But oh, no. see, I
0: was I was waiting for it. Mm-mm. But but Caros, I think you don't even need to necessarily pair her with anyone. She's just an interesting enigma. Um, but but I think that's my issue. Is there's no. Really true group dynamic where if you took out one of them, the whole group falls apart. As you can see from you know Quill quote unquote defecting, it's it's there's a few strong pairings, but there's no group dynamic. And if I'm going to be reading three books about a group, I want there to be a strong group group dynamic. I don't think that's asking too much. Well, and maybe otherwise I could just do one one book about Eureka and Chaddick, and one book about you know, nap and will and let that be that.
1: Maybe that's a fault in calling it like alphabet squadron. You know, we have that expectation of, all right, a squadron is a group of people who are together, you know, whereas this is a group of people who are affecting each other that happen to be working together, you know? And so we go in with this expectation of what a squadron is. And, you know, we, we like, Other than the end of the first book, we never really get them working as a squadron. And the end of the first book, like, they save the day, but they save the day from their own mistakes and their own miscalculations and and stuff like that. So, like, they prevent things from getting worse, but they don't, like, it's not like a big whooping, you know, Return of the Jedi victory, Um Whereas, or excuse me, and then from there you just you go on, and there isn't that unity. You have you know Chaddock kind of coming in and out, Quell is kind of coming in and out, Uh, Kairos is is there. You know, really, Will and Nath are the squadron. You know, they are Alphabet Squadron, and the other people are you know bit players in the story of Alpha alphabet squadron as a squadron In the story
0: of Alpha, yes but yes. as the, as the story of this think Will these characters Matt had as much growth of the as the other characters but you're right they are what they're kind of the pinnacle of what alphabet squad squadron was supposed to be at its conception
1: yeah yeah i mean and it's interesting because you know we have these characters who are juxtaposed to each other so much And then we have Hera. And Hera is, I mean, she is the moral compass of the book. She's the only one who's not questioning if she's doing the right thing. And to me, she provides a look at a character who knows she's doing the right thing and realizes that she's always going to struggle with that choice. You know, we get the allusions to Jason and the loss of of her family and Rebels, and we had some of that before, but they it really gets dug into this time. And I think Hera is there as that moral compass, that kind of more or less goal that they're all trying to get to. I'm not saying they all want to be just like Hera, but to have that level of uh, acceptance and and peace. You know, Hera isn't questioning if she's doing the right thing. She knows she's doing the right thing. She's questioning how much longer it's going to take and how much more she's going to have to give, which, I mean, really at the end of the day is if we really believe in something, we're still going to question those things, you know, like, I really believe in what I'm doing as a teacher, but I also question, I'm like, I'm 30, can I make it another 40 years doing this? You know, like, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And so I think they're all trying to, in their own way, get to where Hera's at. And I think Kairos is kind of the example, or excuse me, the, the manifestation of that. Uh, because she starts the trilogy with this very harsh shell on. And then she loses that facade, that protection. And then in this book, we get her um, kind of falling apart, more or less. Her her, It's kind of hard to kind describe of, her shell or chrysalis of, or whatever.
0: Kind of literally.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's like yeah. literally falling apart. And it's interesting because if any of them are at peace to me kairos is at peace because she doesn't her her life isn't what she expected it to be and she doesn't know who she is and at the same time she's able to see that and acknowledge that and admit that and i think to me that's a a great strength and that's why you know Hera is the the ideal of what they're shooting for, but Kairos is really who they are becoming and who they became.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, honest, I honestly think we could do an entire episode on just Kairos, Kairos. This is, this is where we need to <laughs> listen to the audio books and can pronounce the names. But I, I think we Leia, could do Leia. an entire episode... <laughs> An entire episode on her, and and dive into this concept of how does war make a person, and how does war destroy a person, and what's left of them, and just how important is that before and after? I think she's the the physical manifestation of this entire concept, and in a way, this is what the story is truly about. You know, it's in theory supposed to do it through these different relationships. I think it kind of fails on that part, but I do think this is part of it, you know, and, and this is why I think it's so important to have even scenes with Kairos, Kairos, whatever, where, where she interacts with Hera. And the reason I say that is because we, as an audience, assuming if we are invested enough to be reading alphabet squadron, we've probably all watched at least some rebels And we have some relationship with Hera and we understand, you know, just what she's willing to give. And this is an important part that you brought up earlier. How much more is she willing to give? And it's so interesting to me to see that that might be waning and that might be faltering. You know, we see her getting kind of testy in briefings and, and holding her tongue in certain areas. I would be so interested if there is anyone who this is their introduction to Hera what are their thoughts there? You know, if if you don't know her at the beginning of the war, I can't imagine this is the best possible representation of her, this book. Um, but seeing all of this kind of unfold, whereas Karos it's interesting because through those flashbacks, we're actually able to really see that juxtaposition firsthand and, and right away in a very immediate way.
1: Yeah, and, and the idea of, you know, do the ends justify the means to me is is a big theme that's going on in this story. Um, because, like, when you look at Hera and Keys and you contrast them, they both think the best of their people and want to give them opportunities after the war. But Hera, she holds people accountable for their choices while giving them a chance to redeem themselves. Whereas Keys is just willing to ignore all of these terrible choices that they've made in favor of this weird, you know, fake redemption idea that he has of they'll get another chance and everything will be different. And it's like, well, it's not different because you didn't give them the chance to change. Right. And Kairos has the chance to change and she does change. And I love the fact that we don't know where she's at at the end of the book because, if in in the question of do the ends justify the means, there really isn't an answer, and and the point isn't the answer. The point is the the thought is the exercise is the we should be questioning not only where we're going and what our goals are, but what are we sacrificing for them? What are we giving up for them? And I think if if it at the end you know we have. The, you know, Yerika and Chass have, have settled down more or less. You know, that's a good thing. Will's gone back home. Things aren't the same, but, you know, he's found some peace. Natha's gone back to being a pirate and Kairos is just off out there. And if she's the metaphor for the squadron as a whole, which I think she is, you know, there's not an answer about whether what they did was right whether what they did was wrong whether the ends justify the means because there isn't an answer to that the point is to question and i think more than anything that's kind of what we have you know uh where these characters end with or, or where these characters end at so by the end of the book Yerka and chas you know have gone from these characters who have spent a lot of time questioning themselves and questioning their motives to these characters that have settled down and they've kind of just accepted that there's not an answer. Um, whereas, you know, Nath is, is uh, you know, feels like he has found at least an answer. He doesn't know if it's his answer, but it's an answer. And Will, who thought he had all the answers now has all these questions. Because that's an ebb and flow throughout our lives. You know, we're going to have times when we feel like we have all the answers, when we're questioning, when we're sometimes, when we're in between, we're going to have times when we are doing something and we're not quite sure if it's right. And we're going to have other times where we're doing something that we know is right, but we're not quite sure how it's going to turn out. You know, like, and that moral ambiguity is, you know, Kairos is to me the representation of that tension and that development and the fact that there isn't an answer to that question.
0: And I just, it it kind of, kind of sucks because the more you talk about this book, like in theory it's good. I just don't think that victory's price is the best execution of these ideas, you know? And, and it really does come down to, in my opinion, like I'm, I'm sticking with this for now it's five different stories. It's it's not here's this idea and here are these five characters who are going to show you this idea. It's here's five different starts, here's five different middles, here's five different endings. At some point we're going to show you this.
1: Well, and I wonder too if this had come out back in, you know, the days of the EU where you know, when we had the original trilogy and even the prequels, Good and evil is much more clear cut right and wrong is much more clear cut you know um, but we're at this point now where we have these characters like ahsoka, we have these characters like uh like Ben solo, like Ray, where it's not as clear cut you know uh Ray is much more aggressive than Luke. She still wins by defense, though. You know, Ben should be this embodiment of the light, but he goes to the dark, but he still has light in him, but he wants to be dark, but he actually is going... Like, there's a lot of ebb and flow between those two distinct sides that were created with the original six films. And so I wonder if, now that we've had that and we've had it on such grand scales, if that's necessarily a story that we want told anymore, and whether we um, have gotten this at the right time. I think maybe if we got this at a time that wasn't, you know, right after the sequels, right after we had, uh, you know, The Last Jedi, which causes us to question a lot of things, and this was our introduction, and this was our foundation of, you know, moral ambiguity in Star Wars, I think it hits a little bit clearer, Um, And then sets the foundation for future stories. But having characters like Cassian, having characters, um, you know, like Ezra and Ahsoka and these characters that they're not doing things evil, but they're not also they're also not falling within this institutionalized idea of Jedi or rebellion that we've had before.
0: I see where you're coming from. I don't disagree with you. I just wish it was told by a character that you, or at least I personally related to and was as invested in and got to see the growth as I was Ahsoka, as I was Ray. You know, I, I, again, I understand what Alexander Freed was trying to do here. And I think when we look at it just as an actual writer, like we, what we were saying before, it's done really well like he's not you you can't possibly sit here and be like oh no he's a bad writer he's a great writer he does what he does well i just don't think it was as impactful of a story as at least i would have preferred because i w- i was so torn you know every 5 pages 6 pages 10 pages every time I'm starting to get invested in a character, we switch characters. And with the way it's set up, every time we switch characters, we switch locations. We switch struggles. You know, we, we switch side characters and who they're interacting with. Like it's, It really just felt like a collection of short stories more than it did the third book of a novel.
1: Well, that's fair. I think one place where it does feel like the third book um, and the one idea or theme that i had been like waiting for the book to resolve was the whole talking with shadowing thing like that was one thing where i'm like okay they're talking to them a lot he's trying a lot like they can't it's not just gonna end with like well nothing happened they never responded you know you have to have you know either them get you know destroyed for that and and you know shadowing come after them for that specifically and and you know maybe take somebody's life or you have to have the reverse where shadowing you know starts to change starts to sway towards their side and i i loved how they did it here um because one of the lines that really stuck with me from Uh, the original book from the first alphabet squadron was when Quell was seeing some of these uh, Imperials that had turned coming off the ship. And she basically, you know, was saying like the first wave were the people that, you know, more or less felt trapped by the empire and didn't know how to get out and never really believed in it. And as you go on, you get worse and worse people and like, if you're coming in after me and everything that happened on a Cronus, like I think she says you're a bastard. If I remember correctly, I could, I could be misquoting that, but that idea always stuck with me. So it was like, I never really wanted shadow wing to do the right thing. Cause I felt like that would have negated that idea. And that, that idea is really, really true. Um, You know, if you were coming to the rebellion that far after, you know, after Operation Cinder, like if Operation Cinder happens and then you're going to join the Empire, like I'm really going to have a hard time unless your character that we're spending quality time with, like we do with Quell, believing that you've changed. And so having the end of this book where the TIE pilot rescues Will, um, I think that's just a great way to resolve that story because it's not saying that the shadow wing pilots have turned or that they're joining the rebellion, but simply that they've recognized the humanity in the other side, which is something we definitely need more of in this world today is just being able to recognize the humanity of the other side. And that, you know, that's, even when we go to the sequels, that's still what's lost. You know, Tell me, why does Hux hate the Rebellion or hate the New Republic? There's no justifiable reason other than he was raised to hate them, right? He can't see the humanity in them. Whereas, you know, when we look at Ray and, and Ben, and yes, they're a dyad and they were connected and faded and all of that good stuff. But at the end of the day, what really saves both of them is recognizing the humanity in each other. And so to get that idea here, especially when Rise of Skywalker didn't really resolve what happens with the first order. It's like, I guess it's just all, they're all bye-bye now. Um, That didn't really work before. So how's it going to work now here? It was like, that's not really the point of the story. The point wasn't the battle. The point wasn't who won. The point was, Let's just see the humanity in each other and be able to say, like, hey, we disagree. We're going to walk away from this disagreeing, you know, but we can still protect each other. We can still support each other. You know, we can still not fight just because, uh, you know, Bodhi has a great line in Rogue One. It's just like a little sideline. Like, look past the uniform for just a second that's exactly what happens here is that faith and will in the humanity that he was raised at from, from uh, Polynesis, I think home, that's what they call it. Uh, That humanity and that morality that he was raised with was a little too, you know, naive, but it also that naivety, that hopefulness is something that opens other people up to see the humanity in other people because that kind of, Hopeful, Naive not scarred by war not scarred by trauma kind of person is I think at the end of the day who we all wish we could be and so when we see that we attach to that Um, and we want to try to be like that and even if that person hasn't done everything perfectly we're able to say you know like hey you're doing it the right way right like Kobe Bryant for example. I hated, I hate hated, hated Kobe Bryant because he beat the Spurs way more than I would like to admit on something that's going to be on the internet forever. But I respected the hell out of him. Like, and I recognize that he's one of the greatest basketball players of all, of all time. It does not take away my feelings of how angry he made me when he took away some of the Spurs championships. But... I can look at Kobe and look at his life and say, like, he is one of, he's a great human being. He's one of the greatest basketball players of all time. He's just not particularly my favorite. He's not somebody that I particularly am going to cheer or did cheer for. Does that make sense?
0: It absolutely does because that is, you know, like, I, I never really grew up like cheering for sports or anything. But to keep it kind of Star Wars related, this is something I'm not proud of. Um, But for a long time, I actually hated the Indiana Jones movies growing up because to me. All right. Well, that is the end of this book, guys. We are. I'm going to defend it. That was to me like. George Lucas's kind of other baby and Harrison Ford's other baby. And like, how dare Harrison Ford be anyone other than Han Solo? You know, like when you're a kid, you associate actors with that one character. Um, So I kind of hated Indiana Jones. And then as I got older, I kind of like begrudgingly, was like, Oh man, these are, these are good movies. And then all of a sudden it was like, Indiana Jones is the best, you know, like what are are you talking about? These are some of the greatest movies ever made. Um, But that would kind of be my, my, association with this but to keep it alphabet squadron centric um i i understand the point you're making and i understand the point alexander freed is making and i think the point is made i think it is overtly obvious what the point is I just wish it was more of the central focus because again, when you have five different stories going on and like I said, it felt like five different short stories from time to time. And we're just kind of hopping back in where we left off. It's not really well-served. You know, I would have preferred a trilogy where this is a real big central part of every single characters or at least most of the characters story not just hey remember this guy over here he kind of talks to Nath now and then they have a fun relationship this is you know th- this is what's going on over here so it seems like a lot of it kind of gets lost in that
1: let me ha- let me ask you this do you think this would have worked better as let's say a Disney plus series where when you do change characters, when you do change scenes, you don't have to take as much time to adjust as you do when you're reading. Because when you're reading, you have to you know recreate the images in your head, remember what these characters look like, but visually you can get it quicker. So do you think if we had this as let's say, you know, uh, each book is a, is a six part series or something. Do you think that the story would have worked better in terms of execution that way.
0: If done appropriately. Okay, I I think it would have been done well if it was done in the style of Lost or um if you've seen the show Once Upon a Time or uh <laughs> my the, the Wilds, The Wilds on Amazon just did this really well but you have this overarching story and then every single episode focuses on a different character in that Mm. overarching story and gives you that background. I think that would have been the best medium for this story is here is the show. Here's where we're all at. And every single week we're going to take a turn to focus on a different character and show you their background and show you their part of the story. I think that would have been better served for this than three novels. Okay. That's
1: fair. I think, it, to me, at the end of the day, the Alphabet Squadron, when I look at it as a trilogy, to me, it's not really a story. There's not really a plot that I'm like, this is the plot that sticks out to me, like you get in... Um, even Aftermath. Aftermath has a, has a very clear like plot, beginning, middle, end kind of idea. This doesn't, but this, to me presents characters that are interesting to dissect in isolation. Um, again, like it's, I, I, I like stuff to either be really feel good or really tragic. Like I like to know how I'm supposed to feel and this doesn't allow for that. And again, like it's a taste thing. Drew, Drew, thinks this is the greatest book since the bible like he you know what i mean like he loves victory's price he loves the alphabet he squadron does. trilogy he really does but you know i think he looks for more of that ambiguity in storytelling than i do so let's go ahead we're, we're at like an hour now and i think we've kind of made our points and hit the high points of this book it's it these books are so packed with information that like we couldn't cover it all if we had the in- amount of time the audiobook has. Like that's one thing about these these books. I realized, you know, it took me forever to read this book. Not, like I said, not because it was poorly written and not because I wasn't invested in it. I was invested in the characters and I wanted to know what happened next. And there wasn't a moment I was reading it that I didn't enjoy it more or less, even though it's not, it's not master and apprentice it's not bloodline it's not the things that i particularly was looking for it was a really fun read but it's so dense that like i know i'll go back and reread these books because there's so much in there that i know i missed about the psychology and about the emotions of the characters and stuff um about even some of the themes that um freed was bringing up so if you've listened to this and you're kind of like oh maybe i won't i would still encourage you to check this these books out check out this book and um you know give it a shot and and see if you know this kind of story is is something that you like so Lindsay, let's close it out and give it a new rating again out of five starships you started with three and now you are at
0: two Ooh. I, yeah, because again, like I, I enjoyed it, you know, and and keep in mind, it's not like I, I just put this down right, you know, two hours ago and, and jumped right into this recording, kind of getting to like sit with it and, and remembering the prose. It's it's so hard to do this for a trilogy book because it's hard to eventually differentiate this one specific story from the story overall. But now that we've kind of sat down and dissected it as its own end today, and not just as, you know, the, the, the culmination of a trilogy, it's kind of like it, this specific one kind of felt a little bit lackluster. And I, I really do truly wish I felt more camaraderie between the main characters and regardless of wherever they ended up or how they ended up there. I I wish it felt like a more cohesive story between the five of them. Um, So just with that kind of disappointment and with, (laughs) with remembering that you cannot possibly sit here and have a discussion about what this story meant to all five of them at one time, you need to break it out between five different discussions. That's a really big negative for me. Um, But that being said, I can't give it a one because it's, it is so well-written um, and the characters are strong individuals on their own, so so feeling, giving it a one feels disingenuous. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm just gonna drop it down to a two and call it that.
1: Would the entirety of the trilogy, with the whole Alphabet Squadron trilogy, be a two for you as well, or does overall rank a little bit different?
0: Overall, ranks a little bit higher. Um, you know, I, I had trouble getting into it at. first first because it really was just at this point kind of close story um and she's i, I have to be honest she's my least favorite character of the five of
1: them. yeah she's not a, um, she's she's the least yeah, interesting
0: yeah so so to focus so much on her in the first book feels forced to me um i actually i i really did enjoy the kind of the not even second half probably like the middle third of the first book. Um, I really enjoyed as they were becoming that team, as they were stuck on their first mission together and getting to know each other. I really enjoyed that. I also really enjoyed kind of the first half of the second book and most of Chadwick's journey throughout the second book. Um, but that's, you know, again, that's that's my style. That's my personal preference. I I would have trouble defining defending this without bringing personal opinion into it which I don't like doing because I like that other people like what they like. I like that, you know, we have the Drews and the Sams who who love the Starfighters, who love this kind of story. Like I think that's awesome and I don't want to take it away from them, but just personally like this is a good well-written story as a trilogy. It's just not to me to me it is not the story that I think needs to be told or the way I want to be told it.
1: Okay. For me, the trilogy would rank a two out of five. But Victory's Price... I'm, I'm just going straight four out of five now. I've talked myself into it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well,
0: to be fair, too, you gave yourself two ratings at the beginning, which I didn't get the chance to do.
1: That. I mean again, yeah, yeah. I have the show notes, I press the record button, I make the rules i think I think this one is far and above the best book of the trilogy um the first one uh, wasn't wasn't my jam um and I liked it a little bit more, you know, after we we talked with Sam about it and, and kind of some of the ideas of PTSD and different things like that. The second book to me was was good, but it was t- dragged out far too much. This one, it felt like everything that uh, was being done had a purpose and served a particular purpose. Um, means or or had a particular reason for being in there nothing felt like it was dragged on for too long uh and now that i i've kind of thought about it and and sat with it here in this conversation i realize i i like the ideas and i like the setup of the characters um it, it wouldn't rank overall like i said the the trilogy wouldn't rank super high more so because i don't think that there's a clear plot line throughout worth investing in but i think the characters are quite interesting so that is where we stand and if you would like to share your rankings with us you can do that on our twitter at clashing Savers or over on our facebook Group, which is star wars clashing sabers and of course we have our patreon where uh, you can support getting books into classrooms across the country um and also you know post on there share your your ratings for alphabet squadron or any topics you would like to discuss over there uh lindsey what are you up to
0: well if you want to know what i'm up to honestly the best place this isn't even meant to be a plug it's just true but the best place to find me is probably Patreon Um, if not you can always find me over on our Facebook group Um, but yeah Patreon and and just kind of jumping in any discussion there or any of our uh, even soon to come bonus content
1: yeah and uh, we, we, we got some good stuff in the works and uh, we're always trying to bring you guys good content. So when we come back next time, we will be uh, digging back into Thrawn and the new Thrawn book. I know I'm uh, about 90 pages into that at the time of recording and so far so good. It's kind of scaring me, but we'll see. Um, and until then, keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, Don't burn the sacred text. All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff. Our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? There are thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and it, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text.